Let's get started with our, um, our closing plenary then. So I want to thank you first for all the um, energy and all the conversations. Um, certainly both my workshops were absolutely fascinating and I hope you all had um, equally interesting conversations wherever you were. We're going to try and pull things together now um, with a, a, a closing discussion around the sustainability of the voluntary sector and also how that impacts on its ability to engage with people like the Scottish Parliament. Um, and to do that, I've got um, an excellent panel uh, who I will introduce to you. Um, so from the far end, and some of you will already have met Bridie during the day, but we've got Bridie Ashrawan, who's the Chief Executive of the Edinburgh Voluntary Organisations Council, um, but also has over 30 years' experience in the community sector um, and has worked in startups, social enterprises, businesses, um, and was chief executive of the space at Broomhouse Hub, um, which is a local community development trust. Um, so a lot of experience to bring to this discussion. Um, next to Bridie is Matt Baker. Uh, Matt is an artist working um, with and for publics and the places that people use and live in. He's also the co-founder and orchestrator, I think is the term you prefer, for the Stove Network in Dumfries. And the Stove Network is a social enterprise providing employment for 20 local people across Dumfries and Galloway and using creativity as a tool to support community-led change. Um, and our third panellist is Anna Fowley, uh, who many of you will know, uh, Chief Executive of the Scottish Council for Voluntary Organisations. Before that, she was the Chief Executive of the Scottish Social Services Council. And she's also on the oversight board for The Promise and on the boards of SCDI and Dad's Rock. Um, so we've got a wealth of experience here to try and draw some conclusions from the day um, and to answer your questions. But what we're going to do is we're going to have a little bit of a conversation here first um, in true festivals manner and then open up the floor to the roving mic and um, your own questions. Um, and we'll aim to finish the whole day by um, about half three. Um, so can I start just asking each of you to set the scene for us? Um, We've talked a lot today about the, the, the challenges in communities and the challenges um, for the sector. Um, just, just sum up two or three of the things that you're really thinking about at the moment um, for us. And Bridie, if you want to start. Um, I think um, maybe just to acknowledge the diversity of the sector. Um, everything from the tiny thing that's getting started, which hasn't maybe got much credibility and people go... Really? You know, that's the sort of people arrive at our doors at social enterprise networks or at um, uh, Edinburgh as a, as a volunteer organisations council, somebody starting something up. Um, through to the much bigger and more complex manner in which things are funded, whether that's through uh, procurement or grants and big opportunities in the future. So I think the diversity of the sector is one of the things that really, really matters. It's not in everybody's capacity to go for a piece of procurement that might come out of community wealth building legislation. So we just need to have that ecosystem. I'm fascinated in ecosystems and sort of mycelial networks, if you like, the things that connect trees and nature replicated in, in human structures because they're much more flexible and they're more resilient for the times that we go into. So I think that's one of the things I really want to reflect is we use the term third sector, but actually it's everything from the tiny startup, the social enterprise, through to the volunteer-led, completely piece of work that might have started in the freeze that might underpin what the stove is doing now. But it started out with, you really want to do that? You know, often, often with lack, lack of credibility, really, that you have to get that credibility bit to start off with. True to the fact that we are credible as a sector because we've really helped keep Scotland well 
um, and, and connected in recent years since COVID. So um, I think this is a really interesting time of opportunity. Thanks. I'm going to I'm going to carry on from that thread of um, ecosystems and opportunity. Um, the uh, I'm sure it's something that we're all familiar with, but something that somebody reminded me of this this week about trying not to look from a point of view of scarcity, but looking from a point of view of abundance um, and taking a positive view of what we what we have. Because there's an awful lot of like, how do we get our voice across? And you know, we're not being not being represented we're not being heard people don't understand us i think we need to look from a point of, of our abundance as well and come at it the other way um so i think as a sector we we actually well something i've been thinking about a while is that we have a bit of a superpower in um what you might call engagement um there is a lot to do with, with people are talking about empowerment and representation we are on the ground talking to people all of the time the people who are making these decisions and all the rest of it are up here and they have no idea about what is happening on the ground and who is talking to who and what people really think. And we that is a superpower that we have that I think we could, um, hopefully we'll get to talk about it a little bit later, but I think that's what we need to be doing. And we need to be joining up, like um, uh, um, Bridie is saying, um, and how do we share our resources and work more effectively together and collaborate when we come together in a room like this it's fantastic. We all think, oh, wow, the amazing things that people are doing. And we all make say, let's all meet up and let's talk some more. And then we mm -hmm. kind of go back to our places and we forget about it because we're so on the hamster wheel of what we're doing at home. Um, but we need to think about that from a local, from a regional point of view and, and working from that ground up and joining those resources at, at, at local level. We, we've had some success in community empowerment in Dumfries. We've started buying back our high street through the actions of the creative and the community sector in Dumfries. Um, and we've started now trying to spread that um, and uh, supporting community anchor organisations in towns and villages around us to start doing the same. And I think, uh, and then finding that they were actually teaching us stuff as well. And I think launching into that, that network approach, that ecosystem approach is something that we need to look at. Anna. So I, I agree with, with what Bridie and Matt have, have said. I think what, what we need to celebrate and, and recognise is that really rich abundance and diversity because the voluntary sector in Scotland is around 46,500 organisations. So if you think about that, it's the, there's everything, as Bridie said, from tiny wee village halls and a colleague here from Shetland will testify to the importance of village halls in, in rural settings. Um, but to you know, Amnesty International or um, the, yeah, the National Trust or something, do you know what I mean? We've got absolutely everything. You've got all the... Um, your, the sector is part and parcel and integral to every single aspect of our society. So I did an exercise a couple of years ago where I, I, I could demonstrate that there was voluntary sector... And I, would, I, will, I won't say third sector unless I have to, because I don't think we're the third. I think we're, we're there up there with everybody else. I'll say voluntary, um, <coughs> which other people don't like. But we are in every single cabinet secretary's portfolio across Scottish government. We're in every sector of industry in Scotland. So even in construction, we're in retail, we're in you know, whatever you can think of, we're in it. And fundamentally important. And I think a lot of us who are in these representative roles uh, are very focused on the challenges. There's a lot of challenges just now, probably more than there's ever been before. 
but we also need to recognise that strength and that abundance that Matt's described. And one of the things that really irritates me at the moment is people keep saying, oh, there's too many charities, too many charities. And, and I think, is anybody saying there's too many coffee shops in Edinburgh? If you have lots of coffee shops and lots of little individual businesses starting up, that's about Scotland being entrepreneurial and really grasping the future. Whereas if it's charity, somehow that's a problem. So I think that we need to really recognise that the, the, the abundance of the sector, I love that word, I'm using it all the time now, um, and, and celebrate that, but also um, work together to address the challenges because there are common challenges in all of that. And obviously funding is one of those things. And in SCVO, we're very focused on government funding, public sector funding, but actually most of the funding to the sector comes from people, comes from the public. And when we're in a cost of living crisis, people are not able to give as much as they used to. We have stats to, to show that. Some people aren't able to volunteer as much as they used to because they have, um, have to take on second jobs or even third jobs. So there are those kind of challenges that we have to look at. But I think if we look at it through the lens of building on strength, then that's, that's a better way to look at it. So um, you've mentioned funding, and obviously that's come up all the time today. Um, <laughs> incredibly challenging, the, the instability, the cost of living, short-termism. Um, so how do we address that? What are the solutions? And Anna, um, if I turn to you first of all, because I know SCBO has done a lot of work on fair funding. Yeah. Do you want to say a bit about that? Yeah, so that, that work is very focused on um, Scottish government funding and public wider public sector funding, which, as I say, only 25% of voluntary sector funding comes from um, Scottish government, a lot more comes from local government, and obviously local government has its challenges just now as well. So, um, but we're looking at a, a much more kind of, well, fair, a fair way of doing it. Notice the difference between Scottish government's commitment to fairer funding, which isn't quite the same, um, but there's, it's a subtle but important difference. So what, what we're looking at is, yes, the obvious thing is longer term funding, multi-year funding, that is very important but also about just making a decision and just tell people and tell them before the end of the financial year and tell people clearly and get the money out the door. Do you know, really basic things that don't actually cost any more money but would make such a difference because a real challenge for our sector is insecurity. Um, and if you can't offer people jobs, if you can't offer the people that you, in the communities that use your services stability and security, then that's really problematic. So that's, that's really important for us. But it is also important to remember that, um, that there are other sources of funding out there. As I say, obviously COVID's had an impact on, had an impact on fundraising, but uh, we, we are seeing all of that kind of coming back and people being really innovative about how they do fundraising. But there is public capacity to give. So what, we've, what I think it's the Charities Aid Foundation have found is that the people with lots of money are giving more, but the people who only gave like £10 a month or you know, did things like that um, are not giving to the extent that they did. So that's, and that's really important, uh, particularly for the vast majority of voluntary sector organisations who are tiny. Yeah. Um, Bridie, we were talking a bit in our workshop about... Um, community wealth building and how does that fit into all this picture? I sort of want to take a step back for a wee minute and just acknowledge one of the, there was a really key moment a couple of years ago where the Shia Muslim community, for me anyway, I was in a conversation and somebody said lots of things you pay for because your society isn't connected anymore. And I suppose that's really stuck with me and this week um, 
somebody I, I really value dearly has been there as somebody in her life was, was coming to end of life. And how the neighbours played a part in that. And she's also a befriender of somebody, but actually befriending's gone out the word now, the, out, out the window now. They're a friend, it's a friendship. Um, and, and I suppose, you know, we have got, I think, something fantastic in Scotland community planning. Your NHS colleagues are talking to us and they're talking to local authorities about the fact that an old person who comes through the front door of A&E might, might have had help to get to the GP weeks before that, you know. So our sector is the one that, the, the best, I think, in terms of early intervention, because we're trusted around things, um, not just on things around health, but actually on things to do with poverty, people getting jobs, getting benefits, and ultimately we've got a hype of, you know, a lot to do on climate. Um, so for me, community wealth building is a really powerful piece of legislation, but we're in danger of it actually being rhetoric rather than actually reality. So how can we make it reality? Because that's often to do with pre-distribution of wealth, can communities own land and assets? Can there be fairer work? Can contracts be put into communities where they're facing the highest disadvantage? That's what they did in Preston and other places. They've measured it, Cleveland and the, and, and, and the US, and it works. So how are we working with all our procurement colleagues, not just in the local authorities, but in the NHS and the universities, in all our, our community um, planning colleagues, um, to actually start to put some of those contracts and business development into local places that can actually back those startups through to putting proper procurement pieces of work in place that actually are co-designed with people lived experience and longer term pieces of work. In my last role at Space and, 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 um, and Broomhouse Hub, we were able to get five to eight year contracts for carers work from the Scottish Government because of really good work here by procurement colleagues in the local authority. But other, even other bits of the local authority didn't know about that. That helped us then be able to do the business planning that got the money in for the capital development. So all these things are interconnected. So for me, community wealth building and that whole pre-distribution of wealth is a really powerful moment. But let's make sure it's not actually rhetoric. And actually, we are trusted. I think we are trusted by communities to start work on things. And to, sorry, not to start, to actually build on what we've already started around climate, around poverty. Um, so, yeah, if I was a government right now, I'd be making sure to be talking to our, continue to talk to communities because actually you'll get really good bang for your buck if you invest around community wealth building and in, in actually in, directly in your communities as much as possible. I think it's a really good opportunity. And Matt, bring you in here as well. And um, particularly, is there anything we should be looking at that's a bit more radical? Any alternatives we're not looking at? Or uh, Yeah, I'll come back to radical. Yeah, excellent. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, continue talking to communities. I agree with the principle. I'm not sure I agree with the continue, so I'm not sure we have been talking to communities. Um, but I, I, um, yeah, we're, my, my journey has been, I started, I don't know if anybody knows Alistair McIntosh's book, Soil to Soul, but what, there's, a, there's a phrase in that about dig where you stand. And that's where I started, of like, I will dig where I stand in my community and hopefully somebody in the next door, Glenn, is doing the same and we will join up and that will build a better world. Um, suddenly it seemed like um, Scotland was listening to that idea um, and there was a really exciting time around six or seven years ago where we were all meeting in places like this and we were all talking about community empowerment and some amazing legislation got passed and it felt like we were already going somewhere. Um, and I'm really disillusioned by that now because that has never been backed up by the money 
to make it happen. And I am so frustrated. I do some work internationally, and I am so frustrated when I go talking to people and they say, look at Scotland, you've got all these amazing policies. What a brilliant place it must be. And I'm like, sorry, it's not happening. And, and I feel like I'm now going back to where I started, which comes back to the community wealth building, and I, I agree that that is absolutely... I think that's where we should be starting. I think we should be starting in our own communities, and we should be looking at things like um, service-level agreements and contracting frameworks with, with our local authorities, and because we, the services we, we can deliver are, are so important to those communities. The, the last workshop I was in, there was a, a gentleman from a, a trauma charity who was saying, we don't get a single penny from our local authority. We need, we need to change that stuff. They were getting national money or trust fund money. So the, um, there are opportunities, and I think you know, that's with the community wealth building thing, is like building those small local um, supply chains and connecting with the other social enterprises, the other third sector businesses around you and growing that stuff locally. And I think... I, honestly, I think we're pissing in the wind a bit to be trying to sort of shout at a national level because I don't believe in it coming down. So, it's slightly radical. <laughs> so, so um, Matt's mentioned community empowerment. Um, and I don't know if you want to say a bit about, about what you're seeing in that agenda, um, what you'd like to see happening, um, what difference it's making. Yeah, I think... I. You know, Matt's really touched on one of the things. Another thing, a bit like the coffee shops that I bang on about quite a lot, which is uh, about the implementation gap that we see in Scotland. So we, we have got great policies. I'll be going in a couple of weeks to meet with my colleagues from our sister organisations in the rest of the UK and Ireland, and they all are hugely envious of what is seen to be happening in Scotland. And I think that's great. However, when you go down, as you say, when you go into into real life in our streets, it doesn't feel like that, and it doesn't feel like that particularly, I think, in rural communities. So I think there's um, there's something about what is that, to work out what that's about. And we have a real tendency, I think, in Scotland to write lovely documents. We're really good at what one of my friends calls repolishing the problem. We describe problems really, really well, and we come up with really good strategies. And suddenly it's three years on and nothing's happened, so we'll need to refresh that strategy. And I just think, could we just do the strategy that we had rather than repolishing it and, you know, refreshing? And I'm one to refresh a strategy occasionally in case my colleague from SCBO would say, you do that yourself. But we do, I think, what is the barrier? And some of it is money, but there's, there's a lot of money in the system. So I don't believe it's all about new money. It's about using the money we have better um, and it isn't all because we don't have enough powers in Scotland, so there's an element of that in some of the things to do with poverty. But there's also um, a degree of cynicism that we all have, that we all kind of, maybe not, you can see there's quite a lot of younger people in the room, and they maybe haven't got that yet. But I'm certainly in lots of conversations that I've been in for the last 20-odd years where I think we're talking about this again. Again. And so then there's that, you get a bit overcome by that feeling of, well, it's clearly never going to happen. So how much effort do people put in if they have that sense of, it's all very well, but it's never going to happen? So there's maybe something about trying to um, <clears throat> turn some of the cynicism into more of a determination to make it right this time. Because some things that didn't happen 20 years ago will have their moment now, and there will be a wave and it will be possible. However, 
I think we'd, we'd really need to unpick what that what that's all about. And also to remember, I think that um, <clears throat> so community empowerment is one of those things, and it's really important. And it's more than just asset transfer. An asset transfer has to be done properly and not just offloading stuff that you don't really know what to do with onto a management committee. That needs to be supported. People need the skills and the resources to. Um, and some of that's money to, to do that. But it's also about voice and it's about listening. And it's it's really important that our sector, the voluntary sector, is not conflated with communities because we can be a route to talking to communities, but we are not communities. We all are as human beings, so as our MSPs and, you know, sort of massive landowners, however, they're not... As organisations, we can be a route to speak to the community, but... The voice of the sector is a slightly different thing. And we need to remember that some of our sector are massive social care providers or homelessness charities or, as I said, you know, big campaigning organisations. So we need to think about how, how all of that, how does it all contribute in its own way to what we see at a community level in Scotland? And everyone does have a part to play in that. Bridie, do you want to come in on this? I'm on community empowerment, yeah. I suppose I, I just really to build on what Anna said, my big worry is we really haven't learned from COVID. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for our communities in Scotland, I think there would have literally been more people in our hospitals. And that's been researched. And I suppose I look at the trajectory of some of the things that are going on at the minute, particularly the Westminster level in terms of pulling away climate commitments, the cost of living, um, those on precarious work, cost of housing, the availability of housing. Um, I'm afraid we're going in a direction that I think is really, um, yeah, pretty scary. Um, I had the great privilege this week of meeting the woman who's put some of the framework in place in Wales. Her name's Jane um, for their wellbeing economy work, which is, has legislative power. It's got real beef behind it. And she's working with Scotland and with New Zealand and other places. Um, and um, I suppose my, my, my fear is in Scotland right now, yeah, we've, we're, we're really good at the words and the policies, but actually we, we don't feel that sense of urgency. Here in Edinburgh, we're starting to feel it, partly because we've welcomed 50% of the Ukrainian community to Scotland. Um, but that's had a really big impact on the city. Um, those are mainly women, and often they weren't heard, or we, or we weren't heard when we represented them. We've got a couple of thousand families in temporary accommodation. That means a child is a long way from school, a long way from their support network. Um, and continuity with teachers and all of that sort of thing when you move into temporary accommodation. Um, we've got health and social care pressures unlike ever before, before seen. And some of them are things that are just broken, that we don't actually have community cohesion anymore. And we've got a housing crisis that we don't actually see an end to. And that doesn't even touch stuff around climate. And none of us are living in, living in some of the countries, particularly in things like sub-Saharan Africa, are really seeing the impact. But in Scotland, it is already the fact that people are doing without, again, the data is telling us that, because of the level of the costs of their energy and their housing. So people are struggling much more. And that's actually just been stoked up and visibly behind us. So I suppose I, I want to ask... You're, you know, it's fantastic to have an opportunity like this. I want to ask Scottish Parliament colleagues to help our, our aspirational um, 
um, ministers across all parties, because actually we've got incredible um, cross-party consensus here that we've got a lot to do together, to actually that, to, to turn around that implementation deficit and really listen, um, because you have got gold dust, literally, in Scotland, that you can work with to turn this around. You've still got a social contract that might help us also with things like our green contracts. So, yeah, I'm not optimistic about the direction of travel on lots and lots of things, particularly decisions made in Westminster this week on, on green issues. So, yeah, seize the moment and, and stick together. I think we really need to pull together and collaborate to get to achieve some of these things. So, yeah, there's, there's, a, really, there's, a, very, there's, a, there's a strong voice of real worry in me. Um, so, hence, that strong voice of optimism is saying, you've got gold dust here. Thank you. Um, I'm going to bring this to a close now. Um... I just want to ask, as this is the end of our day and the end of our wide-ranging discussions, just to ask each of the panellists to tell us something that they're feeling hopeful about at the moment. Um, start with Brady. Um, I think I have a, a, belief in, a belief in people, actually. Um, that, that's what keeps me optimistic, are the people I meet who do amazing things, um, who are connected to each other for each other, but also often for, for, for nature. Um, and that actually we, we need thriving, tra a thriving future rather than some of the futures we're looking into at the minute. So it's people who give me hope. Yeah, but absolutely. And hope for me is embodied in a, a woman called Angie Gilmore who uh, runs an organisation called Lift in Lockside, which is 5% SIMD, all of that, that stuff, um, who left, left school at 15 pregnant and unable to read. Um, and is now employing eight people in that community in a um, in a in a, a social enterprise, um, and I'm so proud of Angie and I, and the fact that that can that can happen somewhere and and that our society can can, can support that to happen gives me gives me great hope. So it's those tiny it's the dig where you stand thing. It's those tiny things. Yeah. So I think um, my previous answer is probably where it's so young people is the. Is, is where I see hope, and partly I'm my own daughters who are not that young anymore, but in their twenties. But they, that just and you know being around them and all their friends and the stuff that you see young people getting involved in and doing and feeling that passion, it's just lovely. And I really I think we've let them down and we need to stop letting them down. Um, so that's I suppose that's a real thing for me is about how making up for the sins of my own generation. <laughs> As my one daughter keeps reminding me, I am a boomer. <laughs> I'm very tail end of it, tail end of it. <laughs> so with that, can I thank Bridie, Matt and um, Anna for their contributions um, and for bringing today to an end. If you could just put your hands together for them. <laughs> <laughs>